Paul declares, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And Father, we do thank you for the indescribable gift that you have given. And Lord, as we ponder this verse that your spirit has given to us in the word of God, Lord, we pray this morning that as we meditate upon just this one simple truth, that every purpose and intent behind why your spirit inspired and spoke it forth originally would just find a personal way to speak to our hearts in a fresh way this morning, that we might meditate upon it, and that, Lord, it would set the stage for us to partake of communion as well as we do what you asked us to in remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, speak to us by your spirit and direct the rest of our time together. And we ask this together expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, whenever there's an expression of someone's love and generosity, whether it's a birthday gift, a Christmas gift, or just a gift for any reason, when a gift is given to us and as an expression of someone's love and generosity, it's very important that we sincerely have a proper attitude of appreciation. And that's something as parents we teach our kids. Of course, it's very important that when they get that birthday gift or that Christmas gift, that they don't do one of those embarrassing reactions that every parent dreads if they respond in some wrong way. But we want them to understand any expression of love and generosity in a gift should be something where they show a proper attitude of appreciation for that gift. And that whenever we receive a gift, that we would express appropriate gratitude in response. And in some ways, I really think that's what our verse in front of us is indicating in regards to this incredible gift of God. This amazing gift that God himself has given. And may our time in consideration and sort of just meditating and pondering on this last verse of chapter 9 here, verse 15. May our time pondering this gift for a few moments give us in a renewed way just a grateful heart towards what God has done. Again, remember the backdrop. Our last two weeks together, recently, we have studied through chapters 8 and chapters 9. And chapter 8 and chapter 9, as we talked about, are the longest continuous instruction that we have in the Word of God regarding this area of being giving. The importance, Paul's been talking about, the importance of Christian generosity, of this grace of being a giving individual. And he's been encouraging being generous and finding a way to make our own helpful contribution, whatever that may look like as we serve the Lord. That each one of us as followers of Christ would be like our Lord who gave himself and gave of himself sacrificially to help and to bless and to share and to enrich the lives of others. Remember Paul said to us, Back in chapter uh, 8 regarding Jesus, he said there regarding Jesus, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So again, that we as followers of Jesus, with the spirit of Jesus working within us, that we would have a giving heart, a gracious attitude, that we would want to give of ourselves in ways that we can to bless people even as our Lord did. And as children of God, 
we would reflect the divine nature that is within us. If you are born again of the spirit and you are now a child of God, the Bible says that we have received of the divine nature of God as the spirit dwells within us. So in the same way, my three children receive genetically things from myself and from my wife. Spiritually, the Bible says that we've received spiritually from our father if we've become a child of God, being born of the spirit, the divine nature. And we often say like father, like son. And as sometimes children obviously reflect certain attributes and aspects, physically or personality of the parents, that spiritually we should reflect our heavenly father. And one of the ways we should reflect our heavenly father is like our father as he works within us. It should stir us to have great love. It should stir us to be very giving to be very generous and caring towards other people. And as Paul concludes this lengthy section now of instruction on giving and sharing and generosity, as he comes to the closure of that in verse 15 here, he finishes, notice, by making a declaration, you might say, of the greatest act of giving that has ever happened in human history. So Paul talks about the topic And then he brings to close at the end of this section of instruction on that issue, a declaration of the greatest act of giving that has ever happened among humanity on this earth by declaring thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, indicating the day and the way which his gift, which Paul says is indescribable, unspeakable, the idea is the gift of God himself which was given to humanity for our welfare and our benefit. This gift and this act of giving should be, I believe, both the foundation as well as the focus uh, that should be directing all of our lives. That this should be the foundation of the way that we think and operate. It should be our constant focus that's directing us that we would gratefully appreciate this amazing gift, this indescribable, incredible gift that God has given to us. And of course, that gift from God to us and for us is none other than the giving of his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ being given to us. Now, if you would consider with me what a gift is, it distinguishes it from a lot of other things. A gift is not something that the recipient has earned or even needs to deserve for that matter. All of us have given gifts to people out of generosity, out of love, out of kindness, and we know very candidly, they don't deserve what I'm giving to them, but it's Christmas, and I don't want to make family life weird. And we give gifts to people, not because they've earned the gift or they've achieved the gift. We give a gift to someone, they become the recipient of a gift because it is being freely given to them. And the recipient receives that gift freely, undeservedly. They don't have to earn it as the result of another person's love for them, as the result of another person's willingness to be giving and to be kind, to bless them. And that's what the recipient gets. Well, the word of God teaches that our God, our heavenly father, is incredibly loving, has deep compassion for all of us in humanity. He's abundantly gracious. So as the result of that, He has sought to demonstrate the depths of his love, the vast amount of his compassion, 
the multitude of how gracious he is toward each of us in this world. And the primary way that he went about doing that was to give us an indescribable, incredible, amazing gift to demonstrate his love towards us. Now, what exactly was his gift that perfectly met our deepest need? Well, let me let God answer that in his own words. He says here, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's let God answer in his own words exactly what that is by just considering some verses, many familiar to us in scripture that God speaks about this gift. For example, this one, certainly most of us probably all know very well, John three sixteen, where there Jesus declares, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes upon him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God, notice the key word, so, that's a purpose word. God so loved the world. You could take out the word world there and you could put your own name in there because you're a part of this world. And every human being who's been a part of this world, God so loved equally all in this world, no matter what we have done against him, how we've rebelled against him, spit in his face, rejected him, done all the things that we've all been guilty of. God so loved this world that he gave, and as an expression of his love, the Bible says, his only begotten son, his one and only son. He gave us his son so that we would not perish. The word perish there means to be eternally ruined in suffering and torment forever, that we would not get what we deserve as the result of our sinful acts or wrongdoing as guilty people, but that instead, through believing upon Jesus who God gave, we could instead have everlasting life, the quality of eternal life in heaven forever. First John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 declares this regarding this indescribable gift. It says, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Notice as 1 John 4, 9 and 10 describe this indescribable gift of God's giving. There we're told, as we are in other places in the Bible, that the way that God demonstrated his love for us to always understand how loving God is towards us that that is demonstrated, he says, in this, the love of God was manifested. The idea is, is to be revealed, to be shown. That's the word manifested is. God's love was revealed, shown, manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Take notice, whenever the New Testament speaks to the love of God and wants us to understand God's love for us, it always points to one singular subject, God giving his son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world to live the sinless life that we cannot live, to satisfy the requirement that's necessary to enter into humanity, and then to suffer and to die 
on our behalf to be punished for our sins and our guilt and our wrongdoing that he may then resurrect miraculously from the dead and overcome everything necessary to give us access and opportunity to go to heaven. And when the Bible wants us to understand the love of God, it always points to that one singular subject. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter five, God demonstrates his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Listen, this is so crucial because as we live in this world and we go through hard stuff, things we don't understand and difficulties and disappointments and hardships and as a part of the journey on this fallen planet, the the suffering and the struggles that we go through in this little mind of ours, it's very easy to start feeling, to start thinking, to start struggling, or even to have the nasty voice of the devil through other people around us saying, how could God love you? If he's letting that happen, how could God love you? And this didn't work out differently. And the Bible says the only way we can ever deduce clearly the love of God is not to look circumstantially in this world or not how we're feeling or how our life is going situationally. The only clear picture God says that demonstrates and manifests his love is he says, I gave my son. I gave you my son to come, to suffer, to sacrifice, to make a way for everything to be okay ultimately between you and I. And God always points us back to that. Whenever we find ourselves wrestling, the Bible says, this is the place to come back to. God, I know you love me. I know you love us, God, because you said that's the demonstration of it. That's why he says here in this is love. It's not that we love God. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. The idea there of propitiation is the ultimate payment to satisfy the just wrath of God against sin. Jesus satisfied that. He took care of that. Romans 8.32 declares it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered or gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I want you to hear what that verse is saying there in Romans chapter 8. God who did not, listen to the word there, spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. In other words, the Holy Spirit is bringing to our attention when God was giving, when God was demonstrating his love, giving unto us, it says he didn't spare his own son. In other words, sometimes when we do things or we give, we can spare, right? That happens. My wife comes to me. She says, we have to give a gift to so-and-so for something. And I say, okay, how much do we have to give them? Because I'm the cheapskate and the one who does the money in the house. Because I want to spare. Do we have to give 25 or 30? Can I spare here five hours, maybe something to buy you a chai next time we're out or something. So I'm, I'm always looking for ways to spare. But the Bible says God didn't spare. He didn't hold back in reluctance his own son. Think about it. God could have looked at humanity and thought, okay, there's, I mean, I love them, but I mean, the things they've done, I mean, I'll do this and I'll do that. And, I, and but God could have said, the, I, the one thing I, I cannot, I can't give them my son. I can't give them my son and let them spit on him and mock him and beat him. And I mean, I can do, I'll give him a lot. 
I'll give him the world, but I can't give him my son. But it says God didn't even spare his own son. The idea is there was no reluctance in all that God gave. There was no hesitation. He wasn't sparing or holding back in any way, but he gave to us without any reluctance his absolute, here's the key, his absolute best. He gave us his absolute best. That's why the Bible says, if he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up, how shall he not with him, with Jesus, also freely give us all things? It's a verse intended to say, look, God didn't hold back on the front end. On the front end, at the beginning, God gave his absolute best up front. So the Bible's saying that's such an incredible testament of God's giving and loving heart. If he didn't hold back Jesus, the best, then we should be encouraged how much more would that kind of a heart want to helpfully, freely give us all things. The idea is the smaller things, the lesser things, the things that seem less insignificant. If God gave the greatest thing, the Bible's saying our hearts should be encouraged. God, if you didn't spare Jesus, Lord, we believe that you're not reluctant. You're not hesitant. Lord, this is a smaller thing. So Lord, would you do this in my life? Would you help in this way? And it's encouraged to, to, to get us to pray expectantly to the Lord, to believe the great love and the giving heart that he has towards us. Well, what does the gift supply? Well, again, a few places in the New Testament use the phrase gift of God. Let me bring to your attention two verses. What is this gift of God? Well, two places we find that term to expand our understanding. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice the wages of sin is death. That tells us our problem, why God had to give us a gift. The universal gift, one size fits all. The wages of sin is death. What are wages? It's what you receive as compensation for what you do in your job or in your work. You work, they pay you wages. They pay you what you deserve. It may not be what you think you deserve, but they pay you what you deserve for what you've earned by your actions on the job site. So the Bible says we're paid or we receive what we deserve for our sin. What's our sin? Anything we do, thought, word, deed, that disregards and dishonors God's holiness, God's righteousness, the word of God and God's will. And the Bible says there's no difference. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So the bad news is we're getting paid. We're gonna receive what we deserve for our sin, which is death. That not only do we all die physically as human beings at some point in our life, but the bigger problem, eternal death. Torment and damnation forever and ever. That's what the Bible speaks of, spiritual or eternal death forever in hell. That's a bad thing, but that's the universal problem. It's the universal need that every human being has, the Bible says. But the good news is this. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. What's the difference between gift and wages? Wages, you get what you deserve that you've worked for. A gift, what did I say earlier? Freely given. You don't have to work for a gift. In fact, you can't work for a gift because then it's not a gift. Then it's wages. A gift, the gift of God is something that he gives out of his love and generosity. We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. And we don't have to work for it. In fact, the Bible is going to go on to tell us in other places, you can't work for it. It's a gift. It's an absolute gift. And it's the gift of God. And what is that gift? It's the gift that brings eternal life, salvation, heaven. And it says that that gift comes to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through our Lord Jesus. 
That is, as we enter into a relationship with Jesus because of what he has done for us, that is how we receive that gift of eternal life. It comes to us through Jesus. So he shares the bad news. He shares the good news. And he says the way to get from the bad news to the good news is through Jesus. It's in Jesus. As we come to Jesus, we receive this gift which takes care of our eternal destiny in the forgiveness of sins. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that same phrase, gift of God appears, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, the Bible says, lest anyone should boast. The Bible says we are saved by grace. That means undeservedly, as just an act of kindness. And he says it's by faith. All we do is believe upon what Jesus has done on our behalf in his death and in his resurrection as our substitute in our place. And he says, it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. You can't work for it. You can't earn it, the Bible says. One translation renders Ephesians 2, 8, 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. Again, that's what Jesus meant when he declared so famously in John three sixteen and verse 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever is religious, whoever does enough good works, that whoever believes, believes upon him, won't perish but have everlasting life. And then Jesus went on in the next statement. Most don't know that one, but Jesus said, and God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's God's indescribable gift. That's what his gift brings to us. What is our part as it pertains to this gift? Really, our responsibility is to exercise the God-given ability to choose to believe that it's all true. And more than that, to choose to believe that it is true for ourself for our own soul's needs. So it's not mentally assenting to something. It's instead putting your full reliance upon it in that, you know what? I don't just believe that's true generically. I believe that's true for me personally. I believe that I'm a guilty sinner. I believe I deserve punishment. I believe that, that I'm in trouble and jeopardy before a holy and a righteous God because I've sinned in my life and I know I have guilt in my soul and I need something or someone to take away this guilt and I don't know if I'm ready to die and enter into eternity and all of a sudden we begin to realize what God has done in his indescribable gift, that God loves me, that Jesus died on the cross and took the punishment for my sin on my behalf and Jesus rose from the dead and then Jesus says, I'm the way the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through me, but that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord just in belief can be saved. And when we believe that for ourselves, we go from the place of believing it to receiving it, and then it becomes officially ours. Again, think of a gift. It's the same reality. Somebody can give you a gift. They pay for it. You don't have to pay anything. They pay for it all. They give it to you because they love you. They want you to experience the gift. They even put your name on the gift. They even reach out and offer you the gift. But you could say, I don't want that. Right? You could. You could I just, I, I thank you. I understand what you're trying to give me. But I don't want it. And we can refuse a gift. And in the same way, sadly, 
we can refuse the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We can say, you know what? I, I, I don't want that. I don't need that. I'm religious enough. I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I go to this building X many times a week. I paid for some of the stained glass windows. I am okay. I don't need the gift of God. I'm okay. I'm religious enough. Or just someone who wants to continue to keep living and a self-governed and rebellious. I don't want to follow Jesus. I want to keep living for myself or keep doing my sinful thing. And, and people can refuse the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's only when you believe it enough to receive it for yourself, then it becomes your personal experience. Again, the Bible tells us in John 1 that Jesus came and many did not receive him. But then it says to as many as receive him, that is Jesus, he gives the right to become a child of God. There is that important thing where our belief exercise becomes our receiving the experience. And when that is done, that is when salvation comes to a soul and brings the multitude of all of its wonderful benefits enclosed in that gift. The forgiveness of sin. That everything you and I have done, thought, word, and deed, that it's the guilty stain that we wrestle with within from our past or even our present struggle and even our failures tomorrow. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And there's complete forgiveness available by trusting in Christ and receiving his gift. And he makes us righteous in our standing before God, which gets us ready so that then we're now acceptable to enter into heaven because Jesus takes away my sin and guilt and he gives me all of his holiness and his righteousness and robes me in it so that I'm acceptable to enter into heaven. And we're spared from the punishment of the torment of the lake of fire and we're assured a reservation in heaven absolute guarantee that our name is in the book of life and that we know that when we die or depart from this earth that we are going to enter in to the presence of the lord in glory and by the spirit of the lord he gives us the eternal quality of life in our being where already we possess eternal life within us waiting to enter into the experience of eternal life and the lord by his spirit enters into our life and salvation and dwells within us and he empowers us to live for god and he strengthens us to overcome challenges in this world. And he gives us power to overcome sin and enablement to live differently. And supernatural joy and peace to help us as we navigate our way through this earth. And the blessed assurance that in time, that in the end, everything is going to be okay. To be able to live and to know not only that we're forgiven now, but to know that as God's children, as a result of receiving Jesus, that one day, no matter what's happening or happens on this earth, I am going to enter into glory. I am going to be in the presence of God eternally forever and ever, where the Bible says there is no more of the remnant of the curse of sin. There is no more sorrow. There is no more sickness. There is no more suffering. There is no more death. There is no more pain. There is no more problems that plague this earth. That is all gone forever. And all there is is the internal joy and the blessing of the benefits of being in God's presence. And on top of that, the wonderful reunions to see people 
who we loved and who've gone into the presence of the Lord before us and to be reunited with them. No wonder Paul declares in verse 15 here, thanks be to God, he says, for his indescribable gift. That word indescribable, it's the only place that term is used in the New Testament. It refers to something that cannot be fully communicated or completely expressed adequately. The idea of the Greek term means human words can't adequately define it because it's really just too wonderful. It's something that's beyond utterly mind-blowing. The human words won't do justice, and you can't adequately describe it, but it's just just indescribable. It's just that great. Now, here's the amazing thing in connection to all that. It is true that though it is so incredible, we can understand enough now to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And thank goodness for that, that these little minds, by God's grace, can understand enough by faith to believe and to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But here's why it is indescribable, because the Bible also teaches the full depth will require all of eternity to adequately understand the fullness of this indescribable gift that God has given. Ephesians 2, 7 declares this, that in the ages to come, God might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Think about that. The Bible says so indescribable and incredible is the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We can spend our whole Christian life now until we one day go into the presence of the Lord understanding more, understanding more, understanding more. But then God says, but in the ages to come, for all of eternity, for all of eternity, I will from the throne of God continue to show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's what I picture. I picture entering into the presence of the Lord. And and there, God saying, would somebody read John 3, 16 for me again? And he says, now let me tell you what that really means. Let me explain what that love really describes. And thank goodness we're going to have eternal glorified bodies because our earthly bodies would just melt and dissolve, not only in God's presence. I mean, we just our heads wouldn't be able to comprehend it. And for all of eternity, God's going to be showing layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of revelation of the exceeding grace that was really wrapped up in all of eternity and all of salvation and all that God did for us. And showing us his kindness in ways. Oh my goodness. Finally, a good Bible teacher. Wow, this this is incredible. And God's going to say, right, I wrote it. I'm the best Bible teacher. I I wrote it. Of course I can explain it. And for the ages to come, that's how indescribable the Bible's saying that it actually is. That it will take the ages to come. No wonder in heaven, all around the throne of God, people are there perpetually in all of eternity. Think about it. They're there in the eternal continuum for periods and periods and periods and periods of time that we can't even comprehend. And yet repeatedly they're falling on their face before God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. That repeatedly they're saying you are worthy to receive glory and honor and blessing and power. You sit on the throne and the lamb forever and ever. Because every time they see a little bit more, again, they're just blown away of how incredible God's love and his sacrifice is, and they're so grateful and thankful. And I think Paul, understanding that to some degree, says that's why we, when we contemplate the indescribable gift, we should kind of have the same response now, because it's what we'll be doing for all of eternity. 
That's why Paul says, what should we do in response? Thanks be to God. That we should have an attitude of gratefulness and appreciation that we should want to be thankful towards God, though we can't fully express it, that we realize we're going to have all of eternity to keep understanding and thanking God. And being thankful is very important for our earthly response now because it's also what prepares us for all of eternity. And I'll tell you what it does as well. As we live in a hard world and struggle with our own humanity, it's often what makes you and I a way more loving person. When you ponder what God's done and you're really thankful for it again and again, it will make you and I so much more loving. It'll make us a lot more gracious with other people. It'll make us a lot more giving, a lot more inclined to be kind to people. And so today, if your heart needs some adjustment, can I encourage you? Just ponder the indescribable gift of God and what he's done. The Bible says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God. Thank you, God. That gift's indescribable, Lord. Thank you so much. Let's stand together.